This message by Pastor Alexander Ruggieri was delivered at Faith Fellowship Church in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. For more information, please call 608-935-2655 or visit us at www.dodgevilleffc.com. chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... And we'll jump ahead to chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. This is God's word. So, before we climb this mountain, we want to lay some groundwork And this has been kind of a consistent pattern with this series. Before we climb the mount to see what's going on up there, we we get some groundwork going on. Something that we want to know ahead of time before we look into this. This is the Sermon of the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 5. You're welcome to follow along. Now, this morning, we are not going to go through the whole Sermon of the Mount and try to glean all that Jesus has to teach us. This morning, we just want to have an overview But it is interesting to note how much this sermon has been universally recognized as one of the most profound teachings ever to be heard in human existence. Franklin D. Roosevelt said, No greater blessing could come to our land than a revival of the spirit of religion. I doubt if there is any problem in the world today, social, political, or economic, that would not find happy solution if approached in the spirits of the Sermon of the Mount. Harry S. Truman said pretty much verbatim the same thing. Even people who wouldn't be considered a born-again Christian, someone like Mahatma Gandhi said, when your country and mine shall get together on the teachings laid down by Jesus Christ in this Sermon on the Mount, we shall have solved the problems not only of our country, but those of the whole world. There's something going on here in this sermon. But rather than digging into the specifics of what Jesus taught, we want that overview. What can we learn from this mount of teaching? Okay, but we're on the ground first. We have a couple pieces of groundwork that we need to understand. The first is this. It is the desire of God, specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the desire of Christ to teach us. I know that sounds overly simplistic, but there's something rich about that. It is the desire of Jesus Christ to teach us. He desires to teach us what He knows. You know in the book of John, the first chapter, there's that unbelievably amazing sentence that we read that says, In the beginning was the Word. And the 
was God and uh, was with God, and the Word was God. We know that phrase. In the beginning was the Word. And we read on how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and Jesus Christ was that Word full of grace and truth. Isn't it interesting that God reveals to us that Christ is called the Word? In essence, Christ is a communication to us. A truth that that we need to know. A word. It is the desire of Christ to teach us. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 2, it says that He opened His mouth and taught them. And so we need to remember that as we look and climb this mountain. It is a desire of Christ to teach us. There is so much rich truth that Christ has for us. He is the truth. He is the Word. Any of you have ever owned a little furry critter in a cage, know that there is a mechanism by which you allow this critter to drink. It's got a bottle full of water. And there's a, little, there's a little spout at the bottom. At the bottom of that spout is a little ball. And that critter takes their little nose and they, they push that little ball. And the, the, the little droplet of water comes out and they, they take that water little by little, little by little. For us, we are these little critters. Christ wants to teach us, and we take him little by little. But rather than just being a a plastic bottle holding that water, we're talking about the ocean is above us. The ocean of God and who He is and what He wants us to know about Him and how He wants us to live in this life is like the ocean above our heads. And we got this little spout, and we can just take in, take in, and take in to nourish us. The second thing that we learn before we climb, not only is it, is it the desire of Christ to teach us, but that requires listening. It requires listening. You see, it's one thing for Christ to want to teach us, it's another thing for us to actually listen. Here in Matthew, we read, seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. They came to him. They wanted to learn. They wanted to hear. They wanted to know who this word was and what he had to teach. So we too, when we approach the teaching of Christ, we have to have an open heart, a willingness to listen You remember a disciple, when we read in the Bible about disciple, we tend to think the student-teacher relationship, like you're a student in the classroom, and the teacher has information, wants to teach you in your head. But this is more, a disciple is more than just intellectual information. A disciple is someone who wants to live the life of their teacher. A disciple wants to mimic that life that the teacher, the tutor, the rabbi wants to impart to the disciple. So it's more than just in our head. We want to listen in our hearts and our souls and learn so we know what to do in this world. Imagine. Imagine I come home from work. I do construction part-time. I come home from work. I worked all day in the heat and the elements and I'm hungry. I come home and Alicia was working all day and she made this 
this meal, this delicious meal, roast with vegetables and potatoes, and it just smells so good. And we sit down at the table, and we're just the the food is there. We thank the Lord for the food, and I, I look at her after our prayer, and I say to you, her, I say, Alicia, thank you. This meal was was wonderful. This meal is wonderful. It smells great. I can see that you labored hard over it. I can see that that you. Put it together, it took time, it took effort, you had to get the groceries and all that. I see that, that's great. That was wonderful. I really appreciate that. And as I'm talking, I get up and I go into the freezer and I open the door and I pull out this frozen pizza. And I close the door and I say, that was, I, mean, I can smell the fumes of that roast in the, in, the ki- in the kitchen. It's right there, I put it in the microwave and I heat it up. And I say, I I just, I look at that roast. I mean, where did you get that? I mean, where did you find that? Take the pizza out and I just start nibbling on this frozen pizza while the roast is there. So when we listen to God, to Christ, it's not just understand what He has to say. No, it's partake, dig in, feed your soul. The richness of what Christ has. We need to listen. We need to accept. So that's the groundwork. Now we climb the mountain. This guy, Jesus, we hear about, he's, you know, he's going around. He just healed my uncle. My uncle had para, was a paraplegic. He just healed him. And my cousin was demon-possessed. Jesus just came and cast out the demon in a village. He just, he's doing these wonderful things. A whole crowd is gathering to follow him. Multitudes of people are following him. He goes up this mountain. We get near so we can hear what he has to say. The first thing that we learn about what Jesus wants to teach us is this. The teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ should amaze us. The teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ should amaze us. He gave this teaching of the Sermon of the Mount. All these different aspects of our lives. And at the very end of it, that we read earlier, at the very end, the Bible tells, tells us that after Jesus finished these sayings, the people were astonished. They were amazed. There was something striking about this. There was something that left them dumbfounded. The word is literally like they were stricken out of their senses. We should expect to be amazed as we approach the teaching that Christ has for us. We should expect that when we open up the Bible and we get before the Lord, and He has something for us that we are to be astounded. That there's something unique and special and wonderful that Christ has for us. I understand we get busy. We have a lot on our plate. But how much more when we are busy that we should be able to to have the nourishment to be able to get through those things. Imagine if for whatever reason our society becomes such that we get imprisoned for being a Christian. That we find ourselves, a society rapidly changed, 
went downward to such a spiraling degree that to be a Christian is to be illegal. And if you confess Christ and not deny Christ, you get thrown in jail or worse. But say you're there in the prison. And you have nothing with you. And there's a fellow cellmate. And he's not a Christian and he's talking to you and he says to you, you know, if there's one thing that you could have while you're here, if there's just one thing that they would say to you, you can have, you can have in this, in this prison while you're here. I'll allow you one thing. And you think about it, how many of you would just immediately, without even giving a thing, I want a Bible. Give me a Bible. I want God's word for me. In this, it should amaze us. It's so radically wonderful. In Psalm 119, the Bible says, My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. It says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And on and on and on. What does God want to teach us today? What does God want us to know now? And that leads us to the second thing that we learn in this mountain. Not only should the teaching of Christ absolutely amaze us, but that the teaching of Christ is absolutely applicable to our lives. This word that we've been given, the, the, the words of the word of God, the, the Christ word made flesh, the, in, the, the truth that he is, is not just some historical interest. It's not just some interesting collection of spiritual notions. This word that God gave us is absolutely applicable to our lives today. You see, when you read the Sermon of the Mount, there's all this going on, and some have kind of avoided the Sermon on the Mount because there are a lot of uh, liberal-minded, you know, truth-denying these groups that they say, oh, look at the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount, love your enemies and judge not lest you be judged, and all this stuff that gets reworded and changed and misapplied and all that. So a lot of people avoid the Sermon on the Mount. Then you got other groups who say that Sermon of the Mount isn't even applying to the church, doesn't even mean anything. And I find myself, when I sit under this teaching, yeah, there are things in the Sermon of the Mount that are meant to kind of show us our need of, of God when Christ says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I get that. But you know, and I know, when I read in the Sermon of the Mount that it says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust and has already committed adultery in, her, with, in his heart, that applies when you read, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, but whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You know that applies. When you read, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, you don't think, that's not me. 
you think, that's me. I'm the salt of the world. I'm the, light of, I'm the salt of the earth, the light of the world. God, show me how to shine the light. Show me how to preserve what's good. And not just the Sermon on the Mount, the whole word is applicable to us. You know, Phineas is getting into puzzles right now. He's getting into puzzles, these, these boards that got shapes on them, and you take the shapes out and you put the shapes in. Now, only certain shapes fit in the certain slots, right? You can't take the, the duck and put it in the soap slot. It doesn't fit. We've tried it, okay? There's a slot shaped for a piece. And I want you to think in your minds here this morning that those slots represent a situation that you are going through. Think of it. We're here this morning. We've got totally different backgrounds, totally different personalities, totally different interests. And we're all here to worship God, amen? But each of us has our own, and you heard that with the prayer time, each of us has our own situation we're going through. We've got a slot. Somebody is having a surgery tomorrow, they've got a slot. Somebody has got a relative going through a, a difficult medical time, they've got a slot. Somebody sees the corruption and injustice in our society, they've got a slot going on. And you've got all these slots all over the board. And the question is, is there something from God and the teaching of Christ, if we sit at the feet of Jesus on the mountain and ask Him, Jesus, I've got this situation, I've got this slot, do you have something to fill that? I want you to look at this book in front of me. First off, it's a very big book, isn't it? There's a lot going on here. And I'm thankful that God is not a bare minimum God. And I guarantee that you read in this word, you read about what David did and what he went through and what he struggled with. And you read about what Joshua went through, what Joseph went through, what Abraham went through, what Isaac went through, when Samuel went through, and all the judges and Nehemiah and Ezra. And you read in the New Testament what Jesus taught and what the disciples went through. And they went in and they spread the gospel. And Paul was in his prison writing the letters. And, Jesus, and John saw the revelation. And all that... God gave that to us for a reason. Why? Because there's a peace for your slot. And if you come before God, humbly, quietly, come before the Lord, and you say, Lord, you come up the mountain, you sit at the feet of Jesus, He's there, He's ready to teach you, you hold out your slot. Is there something? Is there something that you have for me that will teach me how to handle this? What I'm supposed to do. I've got this financial difficulty. I've got this health not, not looking good prognosis. I've got this relationship. I've got this big decision coming up. I've got this struggle inside my heart with these unholy desires. Jesus, it, is there a peace for me? And the Lord Jesus looks at you. 
And he takes what he has and it fits. It fits. But you have to find it. You have to go to Christ. You have to come before God, open His Word, open your heart. Holy Spirit, show me. Illuminate me. Teach me. The teaching of our Lord is applicable. The teaching of our Lord is, should amaze us. Thirdly, lastly, and quickly, the teaching of our Lord, when we come up the mountain, we sit at the feet of Christ, the teaching of our Lord is based on a relationship. It is based on a relationship. You see, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, He kept bringing up this phrase that didn't really show up in the Bible much. You see, as a Jewish person listening to Christ, your mind is already full of the Old Testament. You know the Old Testament. You've been taught it. And when you read the Old Testament, when, when there's reference made to God, it's always God Almighty, Lord, King. And then Jesus comes along and He gives this teaching and He says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven. Or he goes on and he teaches about, otherwise, you know, when you do your charitable deeds, don't do it to be seen by then. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you pray, don't be prayed, don't pray to be seen and to get all attention and people thinking you're, you're spiritual. Go into your closet. Let the pouring out of your heart be between you and your Father. And when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father, which art in heaven. And this is important. The teaching of the Word of God, the teaching of Christ, what He has for us today, it doesn't matter much if there's not that relationship that's been made. If you cannot say that God is your Father, who adopted you. You see, imagine when you think of your relationship between your employer, say you're an employee and you have an employer, or, or you're starting a new job and, and you, you, get, you show up at the site and there's this trainer there and the trainer takes you along and he says, I'm going to teach you what you need to do to work. And so he goes along and he shows you in the factory line, you know, this is what you're going to do here and this is what you're going to do there. There's a big difference between that and your father taking you and say, son, daughter, we're going to, we're going to go build a cabin in the backwoods. You've never done it before. I'm going to show you something. Let's grab some tools. Come on, let me, let me show you something. Come here. Let me, we're going to make a foundation. We're going to set a pad there so we can build it. We want it to be strong. You know, you want a strong foundation so when the winds and the waves come, it doesn't blow over. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't use the hammer that way. You might hurt yourself. Okay? Take it and, and turn it in your hand. There's a big difference. And there are so many people who are approaching this thing we call Christianity in the sense of, I'm at my job. And I've got my work to do. 
And I want to invite you and I want to invite me to come up the mountain, sit at the foot of Jesus and have him look at you and say, your father has this for you. It is based on a relationship. This is a mount of teaching. It should amaze us. It should apply to our lives. And it is based on a relationship. As we enter into the Lord's table, we're going to take a moment and look at our hearts and see, do I have a right relationship with the Father? And in that moment, you can know Him as your Father. Or you can be refreshed in your knowing Him as your heavenly Father who loves you and sent His Son Jesus to die for your sins, to shed His blood, to break His body for you. Father God in heaven, I thank You for this teaching. Lord, I pray that we as a people would seek You to help us to know what Your will is for us. And Father God, bless this time at Your table to partake of who You are in our hearts and to remember what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.